If you have put up security for your neighbour, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbour's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbour no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant, he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, if you'll turn with me to the second reading, which is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 15, on page 1022. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our examples. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves an, as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
It's a joy and privilege to be able to open up uh, God's Word on this subject today. Would you like to pray with me? My name's Josh, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at church. So let's, let's pray as we look at this. Father, thank you that you brought us here together this morning. We ask that as we turn our minds to this subject, that you might uh, equip us to be godly, equip us to be fruitful, equip us to shine as lights for you in this world. Uh, in whatever context we find ourselves throughout the week. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jai is someone who works two jobs. During the daytime, he works in a cafe, and at night he works as a janitor. And he often wonders to himself, um, is this what God wants for me? I've got no time left over after my work. Is, Is this really the life God wants for me? Susie works as a surgeon. She's on call. It feels like 24-7. She has to drop things that she's doing and just go into work. Um, And uh, her colleagues have a a, a motto, which is knife before life. In other words, um, you know, once once work's on, that comes first. and, And nothing can get in the way of that. And she wonders if God cares about her work very much and what she does during the week. Gary did very well on some Bitcoin purchases a few years ago, and so now he is kind of sailing through on the the winds from that. He's thinking about whether he can take early retirement and just stop working altogether, Uh, but he does wonder if that's what God wants for his life. Tony's a student. He studies hard. He works hard. Uh, He's he's studying banking, uh, but he wonders... Does God care very much about banking? Uh, Corinne's a mum of a four-month-old baby. She's thankful for the opportunity to care for her child, but she's tired and she's wondering uh, if she's on track in her faith. Work takes up so much of our week. It takes up um, uh, many of our waking hours. Many of us will spend more time with colleagues than we do with our own family. And then... Uh, When we get back into the home, we may spend time uh, looking after children, cleaning the house, doing the groceries, doing the banking, doing the budgeting, uh, doing all kinds of other unpaid work as well. Today's today's talk uh, is under, as Beck has said, the theme of uh, the year of goodness. That's what we're thinking about this year as a church. And today we're thinking about good work. Good work. This is just a standalone talk today on the topic of good work. And I hope what we can do today is not for me to share my top tips about being a worker. I uh, don't think anyone wants that. But what I want us to do is to look at the Scriptures, look at the passages that we've read, and um, think about what God has to say about this subject. And think about, actually, how it's a good thing for us to be workers, uh, to be working, and God's intentions and plans for us. First thing I want to think about is that Uh, work is a good gift from God. Work is a good gift from God. Work was in the world before the fall. It was something that God placed in the world at the very beginning. Uh, We can see that in in the Bible storyline. It's part of what uh, is called the cultural mandate or uh, God's common grace over the whole world that he gives work to people to care for the cosmos, to care for the creation. 
Humans are under God, and under Him we're meant to form and fill and look after and order the creation, because that's what God does. Uh, And part of being in His image is that we do the same thing. If we go back to the first page of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we read this. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then the next page of the Bible, Genesis 2.15, God says, The Lord took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So work's not a mistake. It's not because of our sin. It's not because of the fall. It is something God intended in the original creation as a good gift to humans so they can survive on this planet. But I want to guess that it doesn't matter what job you've done throughout your life, uh, whether you're a parent, whether you're a CEO, a boss, an employee, whether you're an entrepreneur, I want to guess that there's moments when you have doubted that work is actually good, that work is actually what God intends uh, for you. I'm going to guess that's true for everyone. Um, Now, sometimes work can be evil. There are types of work that are evil. You know, human trafficking or drug dealing or extorting people, you know, those are not the kind of things God wants us to put our effort and energy into. Other times, uh, work is just kind of confusing. You know, you might be required in your workplace to do a bunch of things, and you're just not sure what you think about some of that. Uh, I hope we can come back to that. But presuming your work is not evil, presuming it, it, it is not causing you or others to fall into sin, then it's a good gift of God. The old Anglican prayer book, which we use at the 8 o'clock service before this one, had a bunch of prayers for people's different work. Uh, For example, it had some prayers for people in the Navy. Um, It it says this, O send thy word of command to rebuke the raging winds and the roaring sea. Uh, It has a service of prayer for a woman who goes through the difficult journey of delivering a baby. It, It says this, O almighty God, we give thee humble thanks for that thou hast vouchsafed to deliver this woman, thy servant, from the great pain and peril of childbirth. I did practice that one. Um, there were prayers for people in finance, media, politics, uh, all kind of industries that would be said by the church each week. Uh, prayer, work is something that God cares about. It's a God-given thing. God cares about work. He cares about workers. And the Apostle Paul says that when he was with the Thessalonian church, he actually modelled hard work to this church community. If you go back to that second reading we had in chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, 
we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So Paul says he, as an apostle, as someone set apart for God's ministry of preaching, actually had the right to earn an income from that, but he foregoes that right so that he can model to the church in Thessalonica uh, the goodness of work. And so he does manual labor on the side, probably tent making, which is what he does elsewhere to fund his ministry so he's not dependent on anyone. And he's showing them uh, work is good. It's a good thing for you to pursue. Theologians have suggested that there are two primary reasons for work, two primary purposes for our work. Number one is to create order out of chaos. Uh, That's what God does in creating the universe. He creates this ordered creation. On the six days of creation, you can see how much order God places into the world. There's land and sea and there's sky and and, um, and ground. There is um, darkness and light. God puts order into the world. That's part of his intention. And second, it's to create communities of love because God intends for people to fill this earth and to love each other. And so our work is actually meant to do uh, those things. And it might be hard to, to see how that is the case for your work, uh, but that, that those are the two intentions that people have seen uh, for work. Now, some people, it should be said, can't work because of injury, because of um, incapacity, sometimes because of unemployment, and it, those people should not feel ashamed for not working uh, in that moment. Uh, but if you can work, you should work, is what the Bible tells us. Now, there are some Christian traditions that view work like, like it's evil, in some way, like it's an inconvenience and you really need to get to the ultra-spiritual thing like being in a desert and praying 24-7 or being in a monastery and meditating on the Scriptures 24-7. But for most Christians, that is not the life that we're called to. Even for pastors, uh, there's admin to do, there's org structures, there is management of people, there's all sorts of things to do. God has made us to work It's a good thing. And maybe here today, you're sitting here and you are a banker during the week and you're enabling people to have um, safety in their finances, financial independence. You're allowing them uh, to rely on that money so they can look after their family and their community. That's a, a really good thing to do. Maybe you're a cleaner and you're helping keep some spaces tidy and um healthy and you're allowing people to come into those spaces and not be stressed and anxious or fearful that they're going to fall into um, some bad health Uh, but you're allowing them to come into that space and uh, focus on relationships, focus on love with one another. Maybe you're a website designer and in designing that website you're allowing consumers to be able to get products so they can live their life, so they can Uh, do the things they need to do, and so they can help those around them. Those are all good things to do. The question is for us, though, why is work so hard? Uh, Why is it so frustrating? Why is it so problematic? Why are there so many challenges with it? If it's a good gift, what's the issue with it? The second point is this, that after the fall, work has 
difficulties about it, and yet it remains necessary. Work has difficulties after the fall, but it remains necessary. In Genesis 3, humans fall into sin. We turn our backs on God. We give ourselves over to evil. And because of that, the whole cosmos is spun out of course and it's not in order the way it's meant to be. Uh, So there's now, God tells us, problems with humans and with our work. Uh, For women, childbearing is now difficult and painful. Uh, For um, the the sexes, for people in in marriages, there's now tension in the marriage. Uh, For for people working the ground, the ground is now cursed. There's thorns and thistles and it's difficult to work the ground and work's not going to be easy and there's going to be sweat and labour and toil and difficulty in that work. But notice that work continues. It's meant to still happen. Even though it's difficult, uh, God still wants us to be working. According to the passages we just read, it seems like some people in the church need to be reminded that work's still necessary. Uh, For example, in Proverbs 6, verse 9, it says this, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So work is necessary. It's necessary to eat. It's necessary to have um, money to be able to survive. Um, In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Actually, the word idle is not in the the original one, but um, we hear that some among you are disruptive. They're not busy, but they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. Yes, work is hard. It's challenging. Uh, We may desire to just binge TV shows all day on the couch. Uh, We may desire to just give up on our work and go and gossip with our friends. That, That might be easier. But the difficulty of our work doesn't make it unnecessary. God still wants us to do it. It's necessary to eat, necessary to live, necessary to live in a way that pleases God. So I want you to try this thought experiment. If tomorrow afternoon Jesus is going to return, if you knew that, uh, what would you do tomorrow morning? What would you do differently if he was going to come back tomorrow afternoon? Well, from what we've read in 2 Thessalonians, Paul would say, just do what you normally do. Go to work if you've got work on. Look after your kids if you've got kids to look after. Uh, if you've got a, an aged relative or friend to visit, go and visit them. God is actually concerned for uh, the order of our world and he wants us to take part in that. God wants us to be productive, useful, to live good lives, and work is part of that. This is something that Martin Luther reclaimed in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, At the time, many people thought that to be super spiritual, to be doing what God really wants you to do, you should go and become a priest. 
and then you can, you know, really be, you know, hitting, hitting it for six. But this is what he said. He gave the example of the Christian shoemaker. He said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Even after the fall, work remains necessary because it is in part how God is looking after the world. Uh, There's this thing called um, common grace and Jesus would talk about it in Matthew 5 verse 45. He says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he, he uses workers, workplaces, businesses, startups, um, unpaid work to achieve that. That's, this is how God is looking after the world. Martin Luther also said that God uses our vocations like masks. And so the um, garbage truck that comes down your street each week is like a mask for God. Yes, there's a driver in the car, but it's like God's wearing a mask and he's doing the work there to keep the community safe and sanitised. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the, um, uh, the school teacher who's teaching your children. God is using them like a mask to achieve his purposes in the world, uh, to, to make sure that your child can learn languages, can learn to read, can, can, can learn how to operate in the world. So Luther says this, he says, Labor and let him give the fruits. Govern and let him give his blessing. Fight and let him give the victory. Preach and let him win hearts. Take a husband or wife and let him produce the children. Eat and drink and let him nourish and strengthen you. So God uses this human work to bless the world. And he's using you in that, whatever you're doing. Even the church, as we have this mission to spread Christ around the world and to one another, uh, we, so many things even here today that we couldn't do without all the work that happens in our world. Now, all of us are wearing clothing here today made by other people. Uh, all of us have had food today to sustain us, to be here in the seas that was grown on farms and that was brought into the supermarkets for us. All of us have come here by some means of transport this morning that's been designed by someone else and created by someone else so we can be here. We're using a microphone system created by someone so we can hear uh, the Word of God. We've got instruments. We've got um, people who've learnt to play them uh, according to the rules of music so that we can worship and celebrate what God has done for us here this morning. We're dependent on the work that is done in this world for it to be sustained, even so that the gospel can go out. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I passed on uh, to you the gospel as of first importance. And so there is this burning, urgent desire that Paul has that we should have to, to get the gospel out into the world. That, that is a, a burning thing that, that we need to make known. It's of first importance. But we do do a disservice when we act like the only thing that God cares about is the one hour that we spend here on Sunday mornings. 
Uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen in your week that God is very interested in, that God is using, that God is blessing the world with. So the world is fallen. Uh, our work is difficult. It's problematic. But it's necessary and it sustains God's world. Last thing I want to think about is that God is actually interested above all else in shaping who we are. Who we are, not just what we do. God wants us to be busy, not busy bodies. He wants us to be diligent, not disruptive. He wants us to be laborers and not lazy. God cares about our character as we go about the things we do throughout the week. I love what Peter says in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we as the church belong now to God. We are foreigners, aliens, strangers in the world because we belong to Jesus. We've got a different passport that, that, that's in heaven. And uh, we now live our day-to-day -day lives with our highest priority as obeying our new Lord and Master. And we do that in whatever context we're in, whether in the workplace or the home or the street, wherever you are. I was speaking to uh, one of our members this week who's a, um, a couple of years ago lost her job. And uh, she lost it as a Christian because uh, she made some comments in line with the Bible's teaching on sexuality and gender. And they called her into the office and they, they said, okay, uh, we've got to sort this out. And within 48 hours, she'd lost her job. But what I found profound about her example is that she, she didn't make a big thing about it. And in fact, her, her old colleagues still don't know what happened. They ask her, why did you leave? Now, she never publicised her situation. She, she just learnt to trust God through that time, as, as difficult as it was for her. I was speaking to a, another member of our church this week who... Um, his work, um, after he took the job, then told him they want him to do a whole bunch of travel, um, be away from Sydney for months at a time. And he's put a boundary in place and said, look, I'm willing to work. I'll be committed to the company. I'll, I'll do everything that you ask me to do. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to do all this travel. Uh, uh, but I will be committed to what you want me to do. And his reason for that is... He's got a girlfriend. They're pursuing marriage together. He wants to be able to see her. He wants to be able to serve in our church as a connect group leader in, our, um, in, in some of our ministries. We have a new master, and it's him we serve in our work, whatever we're doing. And there's no one-size-fits-all approach that I can sort of just give you this morning that just sorts out everyone's situation here. I know you're all in very different situations, different things pulling at you today. But I do want to make a comment about guilt because I wonder whether some Christians constantly feel a sense of guilt about the, the work that they're doing. 
I heard a story of um, a pastor going to uh, Washington and talking to a bunch of Christians working in the political sphere. And uh, he said the common thread with all of them is that they felt guilty. They felt guilty because they felt if they were being truly spiritual and really obeying God, that they wouldn't be doing that work, that maybe they would have um, done ministry or something else. And they were just living with this guilt. I want to say I don't think God calls us to spend our lives asking the question, what if, and feeling a weight of burden on our shoulders uh, and, and just constantly re-evaluating our situation. There's nothing in Scripture that calls us to live a life weighed down by guilt. In fact, the gospel wants to set us free from guilt. And Jesus has come so that we might be forgiven of our sins, so that our burden might be eased, so that we might be light, uh, so that we might be productive and fruitful for God. God is more interested in your heart and your character than your title and your job. So I want you if, you, if you do have guilt here this morning, to be free from that guilt in the gospel of Christ. Paul says, live, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And that's going to include how you go about your work. Uh, that you would do it with integrity, be known as someone who's honest and faithful and transparent in your workplace. Uh, it involves how we speak, uh, that we be people who aren't given over to gossip and lies and slander, but that we be people who others can trust. Uh, it involves even repenting and confessing when we make mistakes. I heard of a, a friend of mine who... Um, worked in an office and he was serving on a beach mission team and when the, the, the beach mission was coming up he decided to print all the booklets for the, the mission through the office printers but he didn't ask permission and then his conscience was provoked about this some time later and he went to his boss and he said look I've, I've printed all of these and I didn't ask for permission I just want to say sorry and I'm willing to pay it all back and he said from that moment, him and the boss had a very different relationship. His boss could see the difference his faith was making in his life. Our identity is not formed by our work. It's formed by what God has done to save us, to make us his children. We are now foreigners and exiles who belong to Jesus and... That's shown in our lives. I want, I want to finish with one last example of a Christian who took this to heart. Uh, a school teacher um, who found the staff room culture just very toxic, very um, full of gossip and full of negative stuff and hated being in there. And so he decided that each day uh, before work he would read the opinion pages of the newspaper and come into the office and make some comments about what he thought about the issues that were being discussed that day in the, in the newspaper. And it, it brought um, interesting conversations to the workplace. It brought meaningful conversations. It brought fruitful um, talk. And it, it changed the culture in the staff room. And 
at a later point, he was out on playground duty. And one of the other teachers came up and started walking around the playground with him. And he said, what do you, you don't have to be here. You're not on, on duty with me. You can be back in the staff room. And they said, yeah, but I don't want to be in that place when you're not in there. Imagine the difference that God can keep making in your work, uh, whether you're paid for it or not, uh, whether it's volunteering or in, or in your workplace, in your friendship circles, as you work faithfully and as you follow Jesus carefully and closely, you'll show him off to those around you through your words and through your actions. And as you do that, by God's grace, by his spirit, by his strength, that will be a very profound thing. And it might just completely transform that workplace and the lives of others around you. Let's pray. Father, today we give you thanks that you've ordered your world to have um, uh, fruitfulness that we can eat from the plants that you've given to us, uh, that you've ordered things so that our labor produces money so that we can live and food so that we can survive and community so that we can thrive as, as people in, in your world. Uh, thank you for the work that every person in this room does today. And Father, whether it's unseen work, whether it's seen, whether it's esteemed by our culture or not, Father, thank you that you care about it because you care about your world. Father, we pray that you would help us uh, in the difficulties of work to um, continue uh, faithfully doing it. And we pray that you might make us fruitful in it. Uh, that even this week you might show us new things that we can step into uh, in your strength uh, to give glory to your name in what we're doing. And so we pray for your help and we just um, give ourselves over to you in all the things that we do. In Jesus' name we pray.